0: Thanks for tuning in today. We have another awesome show on our Dynamic Duo podcast. We have Angela Hanscom here, and we're going to talk about her awesome book called Balanced and Barefoot, How Unrestricted Outdoor Play Makes for Strong, Confident, and Capable Children. And I you know Lindsay and I have both enjoyed reading this book, and it's got a lot of really cool information, really cool insight, and, um, and it just puts things in perspective more so kind of at, at how maybe the trends are with kids. And maybe some of the things we used to do, and maybe are getting away from, but uh, but overall, it's just an awesome read, and we're excited to have her uh, on the podcast show. We try to incorporate other aspects that affect vision and vision development, and uh, this definitely falls into that category. So, uh, without further ado, hi Angela, welcome, uh, welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, happy to have you. So, I guess uh, if you would just give us kind of a quick background of, of where you're from, and and kind of what you do, and um, and then we'll go into kind of what inspired you to write this book.
1: Sure. So I live in New Hampshire and a very rural area mm-hmm. um, I was inspired to write Balanced and Barefoot because I had been working in a um, outpatient therapy clinic as a pediatric occupational therapist for many years and started to notice an increase in children um, with with some interesting sensory issues like not liking wind in their face um, and then being Confused on how to treat that inside a clinic. Um, you know, do I put a fan in their face? You know, that mm-hmm. was a, mm-hmm. an interesting scenario. For and a sure. lot of kids not like liking to get dirty, um, not wanting to go barefoot, and um, especially children falling and being very clumsy. And that really, um, that really spoke to me as you know, what is happening here. When I I ended up staying home after my second daughter was born to um, just enjoy their childhood, um, Mm -hmm. knowing it's really fleeting. And Uh um, I just uh, observed my, my daughter's friends and a lot of them, a lot of the parents were coming up to me saying, why is my kid spinning all the time? Um, why is my child having trouble paying attention? And and uh, a couple of them said you need to do something about this. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking, you know, no, I'm I'm all done work. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but it was interesting. So it just kept popping up, and I was a lot of them received occupational therapy. So and, and um, OT was kind of something that was really rare when I was growing up. You mm. you really saw the children with severe disabilities needing <laughs> occupational therapy. It wasn't. Um, half the class mm-hmm. that needed OT. Um, and if you talk to a lot of occupational therapists in the schools, they'll say that they can't keep up with the load, that there's mm-hmm. just too, there's too much of a need. So obviously there's something happening. And the research is saying in the, some of our major cities in the last 10 years, there's been a huge spike in the need for occupational therapy services. Mm-hmm. So that's that was really what started it all. And then when my daughter went to kindergarten um, and the teacher looked at us and said, I'm sorry, um, this isn't kindergarten like you remember it. Um, We don't have time to teach them how to tie their shoes and I'm gonna have my husband pre-cut everything at nighttime so they don't have to, you know, cut things and we don't have time for that. Um, That was kind of interesting because as an occupational therapist, again, you know, development and developing those muscles, the, the fingers are even really important. And then they finally took away recess and made it indoor recess because they didn't have time to put on their snow pants, and um, they they made a working snack instead of an actual snack for five. They owed only a five minute snack, and they took that away. Um, (laughs) That's when I ended up yeah taking my daughter out, and that's that's a really big deal for me Mm because I'm I'm pretty nerdy and I loved school growing Mm -hmm. up, Mm -hmm. and I and it was you know I remember kindergarten as being very playful. Um, and learning your letters and, you know, having a long recess session and mm-hmm. singing Little Bunny Foo Foo, but that's, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's all I sure. remember. Uh-huh. And so it was really interesting that they were, um, you know, expected to read and my daughter was starting to say, I hate school. And so that was a huge red flag to me. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, what are we What are we doing to our children?
2: Yeah, so it's just a lot of rush, it sounds like, and skipping over some of these, like you said, small, um, but certainly very important steps that I guess it's hard to think about that they didn't they don't do that anymore because that's certainly when we were going through school we we, we appreciated that. So mm. yeah. Um, would you say in general, kind of that the, the strength of kids has decreased um, in the past since in the past?
1: Yeah, so we um I actually got invited to um, watch a fifth grade classroom. So a teacher had called me and said, you need to help me because um, the kids are fidgeting like crazy. Mm-hmm. And this actually relates to strength. And so I went in and I, I sat in the back of the classroom and I was thinking that they were gonna be fidgeting a little bit with their pencils, that that sort of fidgeting. But they mm-hmm. were leaning back in their chairs at extreme angles. Um, kids were rocking back and forth, um, hitting their head over and over with a bottle mm-hmm. um, and getting, finding any excuse to get out of their seat. And I remember thinking, okay, this is a well respected charter school, our integrated charter school, sure. that already has an, a half an hour recess session, which is more than your standard 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up doing a pilot study and testing their core strength and comparing their core strength to standardized um, assessment of, from 1984. So my generation, um, mm-hmm. you know, what was the core strength back then? And we found, um, we looked at balance as well, and we found only one out of 12 children can meet both standards um, for amazing. the averages of our generation, which wow. was That's really huge. scary. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, would you say, in general, I guess related to strength and play, has there been kind of a trend? Even it sounds like with your own uh, experience, but there's been a trend for unstructured playtime, you know, recently.
1: Yeah, I I think in the last year we've seen a huge increase in people wanting that. Um, mm-hmm. So, which is really good, in looking at more risky play and outdoor play, but I think um, I think it's still a small a small window. It's just starting.
0: Mm-hmm. The other thing I thought was interesting in your book, you mentioned baby devices or infant devices, and you know, when, when, with our children, sometimes you it's easy just to set them in there, and then they're content. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a little bumpo seat, I think is what you call that, yeah. uh, or something similar. Um, yeah. Why would you say, I guess, those maybe aren't the best things uh, for children? Um,
1: Well, if they're constantly um, in an upright position, then they're disassociating their heads from their bodies. They're not integrating Mm -hmm. all of that. And you really need to move to integrate reflexes and to integrate the senses and to develop the muscles the way they should properly. So, you know, we were meant to move, not to be um, stuck in one position. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge problem right from the very bat, and that's why we're seeing a lot of kids um, come up unprepared for kindergarten, mm-hmm. and we're expecting at a higher level, so we're having this huge divide.
0: And I think every family that has a baby, they should be handed this book on the yeah. way out and read it. Yeah. It's, it just makes them so much more aware of things. It's
1: so important, and we're so, yeah. I think fear is a big thing that's getting in the way of this, so fear <laughs> of kids getting dirty, fear that they're going to get hurt. So true. But, But we're causing more harm because of it, so...
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Would you say, I know you kind of touched on this just with your own daughter in kindergarten being you know expected to know how to read. Um, would you say the academic demand has increased in schools just in oh, general? Oh, absolutely.
1: Yep. Everything's advanced almost like a year. Yeah. And then also homework expectations are totally different than when we were growing up. So I remember having like a worksheet, maybe starting in third grade, just one sheet, and then I go outside and play. My Mm -hmm. daughter, who's in third grade now, has at least an hour of homework to an hour and a half every night. So even Mm -hmm. though I want my my daughter outside and I'm advocating for this, she's still stuck Mm -hmm. because of the expectations.
0: Well, not only with homework, but even just sitting in school, you know, for longer periods of time, it seems like, because their their play time is cut down, their snack time is cut down. So they have to Mm -hmm. sit and be attentive, which is challenging for anybody, let alone a child.
2: And yeah, they the come various, home and sit very, again for an hour. And do their they're
1: very sedentary. Yep, it's hard. Yeah.
0: I know this is probably a, a general, broad question, but why is playing outdoors so crucial? I know it's kind of the basis of your your book, mm-hmm. and and you talk about its importance. But if you could just give us a couple, I don't know, hit sure. list things of why it's so beneficial.
1: I think, I think there's many benefits. Um, and there's two really big ones. One is movement. So when you're, you step outdoors, you have a huge, a bigger space. And so children are free to move in any way their body needs to. And each child's neurological system is design is different. And so they're going to seek out the sensory input they need on their own. So one child might need to spin and go upside down and maybe jump off their swing and practice that over and over because that's what their body needs at that time. Another child might need to go and build a dam and get some heavy work and develop the senses and their joints and muscles. Um, so the problem with... Um, only giving them organized sports for exercise is that they're not necessarily getting the movement experiences that their body needs at that developmental time. Um, so, okay. the, other, the other big thing is, um, is imagination and the, the freedom to play. I think we're, what we're seeing at Timbernook, which is a program. Um, it's, it's a camp. Started off as summer camps, um, and now it's it's really just a program that can be used in many ways. As um, a lot of kids come in the beginning of the week, and we have these things called Timonick experiences that are very open-ended. But then we okay. have free play for at least an hour, hour and a half, and a lot of those kids are um, not knowing how to play, which is really okay. scary. So mm-hmm. they're they're almost lost, or they try to do playground play and stand in line. Uh, to Mm -hmm. use a rope swing, because that's their comfort zone. So we're, we're also losing that generation of children that could think for themselves, um, which is not good.
2: Yeah, everything's just too structured. Like you said, you're in sports, you're, everybody does the exact same thing, but there's really no experience. I mean, you just need to go out and try different things or seek what Mm -hmm. you need to kind of reset your, your system. And yeah. Even when and you're outside,
0: then, the options are limitless. I mean, there's no right. restriction as far as, you know, in, inside a building or with certain toys that you have. I mean, you make up your own toys, you know, however Definitely. you see fit, which is so cool. Right.
2: And I think it's, and, I mean, an interesting perspective just that Definitely. I think that sh- everybody should know how to do that. I guess that's just amazing <laughs> to me that people would not know how to just go out and play.
1: Right. <laughs> um, another key thing is that um, we're so, like outdoors is very sensory. And so for sensory organization to happen, which is taking all the senses and and organizing them so that you lay that foundation for learning, you really need to be in an environment that has multiple senses engaged. Um, You know, you have the wind, you have the sun, you have bird sounds, um, you have uneven terrain. You have all these challenges. So you're challenging your senses and those start to develop and integrate that is really important for learning. And so if we separate children and keep them inside, away from all of those elements, then we're gonna see some sensory disorganization where kids are, their activity level is up here and they're clumsy and um, they don't like getting dirty. So that's
2: kind of what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Would you say um, kind of in general for children to play without parent supervision, is that a safe thing to do?
1: Uh, well, it depends. I really feel like it depends on their age. Um, mm-hmm. so starting from babies. So if you have a baby, um, my recommendation is you still go outdoors and you can sit right beside your baby and be present. And so you're there, you are, you need to be right there at the age you, mm-hmm. you like, it would be very careless for you to drop your baby outside and, and leave, <laughs> sure. you know? So <laughs> Um, so you need to monitor like, you know, you don't want them to put rocks in their mouth and swallow it. Um, you mm-hmm. know, but if they, they chew on a stick that to me is fine, you know, like cause they're, they're really trying to make sense of the world around them with their mouth. Um, you want them to kind of crawl on, on that uneven terrain and to balance, um, you know, so I have three children and my third, my third child is, um, he's one. And so I'm reliving all this, and it's really cool to just see him, like, explore and fall and get back up again. And he's, his balance is getting very strong, but um, it takes time and patience. And so a lot of us, we're so busy, and we want to sign him up for all these classes, but then they're missing out on that piece. That's, uh, and it's very peaceful out there, and so that's important for them. And then as they age... What you do is you you stay. You can stay out there and you can rake leaves. You can and still be present and you are around when they're little. Um, but when they're older and they um, they really can um, play on their own, you can uh, you can go in the house and you can keep an eye out and check in with them and stuff. Um, I I recommend that you invite friends over too, so that they have kids to play with, because then they tend to um, find more things to do and they can have a little bit more freedom with. Um, those extra kids so
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome and even just uh if they're in an environment that you're kind of keeping an eye on them but then hopefully they'll feel encouraged to take some risks within their environment and right. um and can you just touch on why that is so important?
1: Yeah, um taking risks? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, yep, they need to kind of challenge their body and their senses to the next developmental level. Um so Um, We kind of touched on this a little bit, but like even climbing big boulders like here in New Hampshire We're called the granite state for a reason. We have giant boulders out in my yard there's big rocks out there and so um, I I feel like it's important for kids to be able to climb up those boulders and to challenge their senses and their muscles. Um, I've seen many parents say, get down from there, that's unsafe, uh, You know, don't spin, mm-hmm. you're going to get hurt. But those are all the things that they need to do that, um, in order to get to the next developmental level. And as OTs, that's what we do in the clinics, we have them, um, we have them basically go do the just right challenge we call it and so it's just enough challenge to get to the next developmental level um so we need to allow them to do that
2: so a lot of the the things that kids are skipping it's really like you're saying from a developmental standpoint those are stages or steps that they need to go through to appropriately move to the next step and we're kind of taking that away from them
1: right yep we're keeping them from getting there yeah mm-hmm.
2: Would you say in general it's okay for children to be bored? Is that a term or explain a little bit on that?
1: Yeah, I I think it's very appropriate. It's part of life. It's like um, the fact that we feel like they can't be bored and we have to entertain them is a problem because they need to be able to entertain themselves. But if we take that right away from them, they'll never learn how to think for themselves. Um, so, you know, another problem is... Um, Uh, You you guys probably know this. Um, It's called visual affordances, right? So Mm -hmm. the first time you go outside and you see a stick, um, you know, it's just a stick. You don't have many uses for it or opportunities. Um, A rock is just a rock, um, those sort of things. And so the more exposure and practice you have being outdoors, Um, the more creative you're gonna get so maybe you're outside and you Accidentally start using the stick as a tool and you're like, oh, I didn't realize a stick could be a tool and Mm -hmm. then you have um, like a friend come over and he uses the stick as um, Like a fishing pole and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that can also be used for a fishing pole And then later on you guys start building a fort. So that's how you start getting more visual affordances, and you get more opportunities, and that's how you get creative. The problem is, a lot of kids go outside and say, I'm bored, and the parents are like, all right, well, let me give you some ideas,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we feed them the ideas, but they never get to experimentation and start, um, you know, gathering their own tools, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense to build upon the experiences they have, they build upon, you know, experiences they have with other people, it's just all... Right. As a yeah. compounding effect, cool. Well, you just touched on it with sticks and things. And mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on putting objects in, you know, in their mouth or getting dirty mm-hmm. or kids getting dirty, especially when it comes to nature? Is, you know, yeah. is that bad? Are there germs in there that they should <laughs> stay away from?
1: Well, there's, there's um, a. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of science behind, you know, the getting a little dirt in your mouth is is actually not going to hurt you, and it, being exposed to those um, germs will actually help with your immune system, um, and also just playing in the dirt and um, is really important because you're you're getting that nice tactile sense. But if mm-hmm. you think about it, say say you bring your children to the beach and they're digging in the dirt. While they're getting um, light, that light touch feel. What happens is, you know, that deep pressure of digging um, actually overrides the feeling of, of that light touch feeling yucky for some kids. And so, mm. um, it's really great when they are playing outside and doing that heavy work at the same time. It helps to integrate that sense of light touch. So, um, which would help with kids not liking glue on their fingers in school um, and mm, that
0: kind mm-hmm. of thing. Oh, that's so cool.
2: So, I mean, it's just amazing, like you're saying, some of these things where you don't really feel like the children are doing an activity or they don't need to be entertained or, you know, just go outside and play. And so many of these experiences are are learning opportunities for them. Right. Um, Certainly your book is an excellent reference for parents or professionals um, to kind of understand the importance of outdoor play. Are there any other resources or things that you came across in your, when you are putting the book together that would be good references? Mm -hmm.
1: I would say um, the book Free to Learn by Peter Gray is really um, a great reference. He does a lot of research on why play is so important and talks a lot about multi-age play which is really um, something we do at Timbernook as well, is we have mixture of ages, because the big kids learn nurturing and they, they watch out for the little kids. And it's really more represents neighborhood play. When we were growing up, you didn't have all one age. It wasn't all, you were all five years old. You know, you might have some six year olds, seven, and they just help each other and you teach each other. So I think that's a really great resource.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely put that on our resource list. And even the, you referenced a lot of things in your book, too, that uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we can always share with others. But, yeah, Angela, I appreciate your time so much. This has been such a nice visit. There's so many cool mm-hmm. things, and I hope that whoever is listening to this is inspired to to purchase the book or, or listen to it because there's just so many valuable pieces of information in there. And, and that hopefully, like I said, I feel like every parent should listen to this or read mm-hmm. this uh, just to put things in perspective because I think that there's so many things that our society is encouraging us to do, which is really getting away with some of the the, um, the good things that we should be doing. Right. Well, so, thank
1: you. Thanks for having me. Yes,
0: it's been a pleasure. Uh, so, we'll yeah, uh, thanks to all listeners out there, and um, hopefully you enjoyed this episode, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, okay. Angela.